the latest digital marketing trends and industry-leading guests. This is Edge of the Web. And when we're together, we get a little crazy. Here's Aaron Sparks. Someday the whole world would appreciate his genius. We're going after more and more innovators and thought leaders in the space of digital marketing. We also have an agenda. Uh, this agenda is cutting through BS marketing. Uh, we, we have a no BS marketer on the show as well. Starting the new year, uh, focusing on the buyer's journey pursuit of marketing with Dana DiTomaso, partner of Kickpoint, a digital marketing agency out of Alberta, Canada. So keeping up with the marketing outlook of Fresh and Global, that's what we're doing. We're talking brand voice and strategy today on The Edge. <laughs> Well, good afternoon. I'm Aaron Sparks. Joining me in studio is Thomas Broadbeck from Site Strategics. Hey. And we also have Doug Carr on the phone for Marketing Tech Blog. I'm here. How are you? I'm very good, sir. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you. Ah, well, thank you. That sounded so, so... Genuine. It really did, didn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Happy New Year. Uh, We also have a special guest here. We have uh, Christy Gormal, Vice President of Matchbook Creative, a uh, kind of a partner company here in uh, in the building of uh, Site Strategics. How are you doing, Christy? I'm doing well. Thank you. Oh, you're more than welcome. And thanks for joining the show. Absolutely. And uh, last but not least, we also have Dana T. Dana D. Oh, Lord Almighty. (laughs) I just did that, didn't I? Di Tommaso. <laughs> and we also have Dana Di Tommaso on the, on the line as well, joining us in our news, news segment. Dana, how are you doing today? Good. How about you? I'm very good, except I'm tripping over your name for whatever reason. <laughs> you, you are not the first and you will not be the last. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Now, that's just setting me up for a fall. I, I know that now. Uh, well, every week, we're bringing you the latest internet and mobile marketing trends and the cutting-edge digital marketing news to use for a more effective and successful online strategy. And we do that for one reason one reason only. So you can actually, you, the listener, can actually spend less administrative time on your digital marketing strategy with more with, with the best effect, most effective strategies that are proven in the marketplace. And we talk to thought leaders on a regular basis to, to find out what they've done, how they've done it, and, and kind of separate good, ta- good tactics from sometimes trending BS tactics. You've got to know what the, what the best strategies are and how to implement them and what to pay attention to. So uh, that's what we do here on Edge of the Web. We've been doing this for close to five years. Five years. That's right. February is going to be five years on this show. And uh, we certainly uh, appreciate all the loyal listenerships and the loyal downloads and uh, the contributions, all the different thought leaders that have contributed to the show, uh, and as well as Doug. But I mean, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. But uh, we really do appreciate uh, the the following. And we're looking forward to a a great number of years, a great number of videos, too, Tom. Got some catching up to do, but yes. <laughs> well, Tom, Tom was out for a while, and uh, all of a sudden there was like radio silence, but it was YouTube silence. Yes. About a month behind, but I'll get, oh up. Oh I'll get caught up. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, the show is delivered by Site Strategics. We are a digital marketing firm located in beautiful Indianapolis, Indiana, and we're lo- known locally and nationally for digital marketing as marketing dominance that actually translates into sales, not just great rankings. So if you're interested in what we can do for you, just give us a shout at uh, 317-882-8500. That's 317-882-8500 or our toll-free line at 
877-736-4932. That's 877-736-4932. And uh, we'll have a free hour consultation with you to see what we can do, what we can find out about your competitors, and uh, maybe give you a, a technique or two to, to deploy on your site. Uh, the site is actually, uh, or you can find us at sitestrategics.com. You can find the entire show in its entirety at edgeofthewebradio.com. And uh, actually, you know what? Just, just, just Google Internet Marketing Radio Show, and you're going to see us at the top of the list. What do you think about that, Dana? Oh, that's that's pretty good. I don't know. Does it result in more listeners? How does that convert? Now, see. <laughs> wow. Let's jump right to it. <laughs> she just called me out, Doug. What's, what's going on here? <laughs> Ladies first. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you can find out all the information there, Edge of the Lab Radio. We've got all the YouTube videos and much more right there. You can also check it out on YouTube. So we certainly appreciate the listenership. Download and, and follow us on all the social media as well. So let's find out what's hot off the press in today's web world. What, you want to learn something? Yes, I do. What, you want me to teach you something? All right. Here's a useful lesson for you. The latest internet marketing news. So we have a, a, a news item from the edge uh, at Edge of the Web Radio. Google's mobile-first index won't measure up speed. Now, uh, uh, just recently, we uh, were watching a, 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 a YouTube video from John Mueller, yeah, right? Their Google Web, Webmasters Hangout. Their Google Webmasters Hangout. And uh, guess what uh, they were discussing? They were discussing the fact that mobile speed has no bearing on on uh, on ranking factors whatsoever. Now we know that's actually the case in the Google Desktop environment. They first said a, a good while ago that they that they weren't paying attention to that. Now it's it's abundantly clear, and they've already owned owned that that mm -hmm. that the uh, speed actually has a, a strong factor in the desktop search uh, indexing. So. Uh, John Mueller actually uh, was asked this during the session. Will mobile site speed affect desktop ranking? I think at the moment we don't take speed into account for mobile. Okay. That, so if that's something we're like... looking into to figure out like how we can best do that. But at the moment, I don't think we take that into account at all. Okay, fantastic. Um, you don't take speed into account on mobile rankings, but you do what desktop rankings currently? Yeah, I was gonna ask. No, from we, we don't take the speed from the mobile sites into account. But that's gonna flip. So you will with the mobile first index, probably. I, I don't think we'd be able to do that uh, from the beginning. That's that's a good point, though. Um, maybe we should clarify that somewhere. Um, there, there's one one aspect there that does sometimes play a role there in that if you look at things like PageSpeed Insights, uh, we, we'll put together a mobile score for a page. And if a website is technically mobile friendly in that the UI kind of works on mobile, but it really has really bad PageSpeed Insights scores, then that's something where we might also think that this probably isn't a good mobile page. But for the most part, in the same way that we use speed for desktop, I don't see us doing that in the beginning. That's something we, we'd like to do in the long run, but not in the beginning. So the fact of the matter is that, well, they ha haven't even indulged a thought of speed inside the mobile ranking factors. But then when pressed by, by some of the individuals mm -hmm. on the Webmasters uh, forum, uh, uh, literally, they were he was changing his mind as... He was talking about it. It's almost like um, in this in, the, in this aspect, they're just adding new criteria or not even thinking through things, just kind of talking on the fly and 
coming up with the decisions as they're getting feedback from the forum. Well, you know what? I, I got to jump in on on this one because yep. I first I want to I'm going to call call total absolute 100 percent BS on this, and and I'm going to say from from two angles. Yep. One is whether it's a direct ranking algorithm formulaic you know piece is one thing, but whether it actually um, impacts your rankings, your mobile rankings is a totally out, total other. Right. And, and what I mean by that is ranking, obviously built on popularity, built on links, built on, you know, conversations, built on, you know, uh, all of the, you know, all of the other rankings, you know, right. say the ranking except speed. Well, all of those other rankings are impacted by speed. If you have a slow, slow, slow mobile site, right. I don't know what anybody says, whether it's a direct formulaic impact um, or not. It's gonna impact if you've got a slow site. Yeah, and you know, I have to say too, like, first off, do they even know what their algorithm does anymore? I think that's <laughs> something that I every time there's one of these webmaster hangouts, they're like, Oh, John Mueller said this. Like John Mueller says stuff, and then somebody else proves them wrong, and then there's some snarky tweet fest about it, and then we all move on with our marketing lives, right? Right. right. And personally, I mean, I've been working in this field like a long time, as many of you have, 15, 16 years now for me. Right. And it's just the same, more of the same old crap. Like, and especially with RankBrain, do they actually know what the algorithm is looking for? Probably not. And even if they do, how much does site speed matter? Well, okay, maybe it's not used for ranking, but if I click on your result and it takes 10 seconds to load the page, you've lost it. Yeah, so absolutely. at the end of it, does it matter for ranking? Okay, maybe, maybe it does. Does it matter for actually getting that business? Well, yeah, of course it does. So you're just going to tell a bunch of SEOs, don't worry about site speed, it's cool, and then they ignore it, and then you end up with lower sales, and they're like, but we're ranking really well, I don't see what the problem is. And it's just getting SEOs to chase their own tail instead of thinking about what the bigger picture is. Well, I mean, do you think that Google is, and I'm not going to put any words into Google Mouth, in Google Mouths because they, they flip. They're pretty good at doing that. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> yeah. But I'm, I'm thinking, I mean, are they... Are they beginning to try to use the rank index and those ranking factors as a consumer advocacy uh, scenario where this speed will provide you better results from the experience of the website, not just just uh, just not a speed, but an actual conversion optimization play? And, and, and inversely, what I'm saying is that. Uh, is Google getting the place of almost consumer reports that uh, you know this site's good because it's so such, such a, uh, a, a speedy website that that does turn into better value from a sales standpoint? I mean, are they getting past the actual rank factors and getting into not not, not really quality of site, but the the experience, the consumer experience? That's not a ranking factor. That's an overall marketing factor, an overall uh, uh, conversion factor. Are they are they investing in that? They they were with digital. Uh, I'm sorry, they were with mobile mobile first. They were with speed at the desktop level. I mean, they're they're trying to look at all the factors that are are concerning to a consumer, not just the rank. So is it all getting muddled, muddled together in one big pool now? 
Well, and I think Google has always tried to say, we want to mimic what a human being is going to want in these search results. They right. want to think like a human. And if you look at, for example, the local landscape and the local index, they're always trying to pretend, you know, you're asking your friend, where's a good place to go for dinner? This is how we're going to return the results. Right. And it's the same thing with any kind of results that they return. If it's not like what a human being is going to expect, then they won't bother. But then uh, there's other results that are influencing rank. Like this has been proven at conferences all the time. For example, I think uh, Rand Fishkin did this at MozCon, I think two years ago for the mm -hmm. first time mm -hmm. and said, everybody Google this, oh, tap yeah, on yeah, this yeah. thing or yeah. click that, right? Remember? And it yeah. was immediately from number 10 to number one. Yeah, and then it's like, okay, well, a billion bots were born as a result <laughs> of that. Yep. But it does it prove anything. Well, yeah, maybe there's a temporary lift, but really what you want to take away from that is, yes, there is value in optimizing your meta description. Yes, there is value in optimizing your title tag, not for ranking purposes, but for clicking purposes. Right. And so thinking about it from that perspective, again, you're going into the idea of, I want to make this result as good as possible for the human Google, not the robot Google. And right. that's what they're always pushing towards. Yep. Yep. I would agree. All right, so uh, that is, that's a whole level of conversation right there, just for speed and, and what Google's intent is. And I'm not yeah. going to even try to, 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 to believe that we can <laughs> we can tap into the <laughs> Google mind in, in one in one news segment, but it is worth a, a, a ample amount of conversation. Another news item from uh, Bloomberg: Ford, Toyota form a, a telematics block to stymie Google and Apple. Now, here, here's the deal is that Ford Motor, Ford Motor Company and, Toto, and Toyota Motor Company have formed a consortium with four medium-sized automakers to speed up development of an auto industry standard for in-vehicle apps, a step towards preventing Apple, Inc. and Google from controlling how drivers connect smartphones to their cars and trucks. Um, they, the Ford, Ford and Toyota said that the Mazda Group, PSA Group, Fuji, and Suzuki Motor, Motor Corporation joined their Smart Device Link Consortium. The nonprofit group's goal is to provide to pr promote more choice in how smartphones get connected to the in-vehicle technologies like dashboard displays and voice recognition in the other programming for, uh, Ford and Toyota said in their, their statement on Wednesday. So, uh, you know, Toyota has resisted offering Apple's CarPlay and Google's Android Auto in its vehicle, citing concern that doing so would diminish, diminish safety and security. So there's the concept right there. I'm not sure if it's so much safety. I think if they put Apple Play in Toyotas, right. all the Android users, why, why are they going to want to buy a Toyota? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think it's more of that play that they're doing this so they can try to control the whole, they control the whole environment with both, uh, both user sets and not cut off half their potential buyers. Because, I mean, you, you certainly have, you have such a brand loyalty Oh, yeah. And do both camps. Yeah, I, I, Do you think I, that would be a deciding factor? I mean, I, I got an Android now, and I want to be able to utilize maybe Stitcher and listen to Edge of the Web right. from my phone. Nice through, plug. Yeah, through, through, <laughs> the, through, uh, through, through the Android Auto. Right. But I'm going to have to buy a, not a Toyota, not a Ford. I'm going to have to go buy a Chevy to do that, you know, if, if, if they're taking sides with the, Air, the AirPlay or the Android Auto. Huh. Well, I mean, I, I, I no. think that's, that's part of it. Absolutely. Guys, everybody? Any thoughts? Uh, what I'll is is these guys? I think uh, I'm going to be a jerk today again. <laughs> <laughs> these guys have all lost the war already. Oh yeah, because nobody's using their radio anymore. Nope. Everybody's everybody's the phone in. mobile yep. device up. You know, I know the first thing I do when I get in my in my car is I connect my mobile device. Yep. You know, and go and I use maps on my mobile device. I have all of that on. You know, I got a Cadillac. I got an SRX. It's got all of that. But the first thing I do is use my phone. Why? Because it's all better. And it's also and so moving with you. 
is that yeah. your your clouds moving with you and these uh, in 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 vehicle dash systems that they're trying to yeah. be an equivalent i mean they've fallen short so many times yeah. right mhm mm mhm well, well and i think it's pretty rich for the car companies to be talking about security when their cars get hacked <laughs> yeah. semi regularly <laughs> no now you're worried about security that's great and also don't we already have a standard it's called bluetooth like what yeah, exactly. what are you hoping to accomplish with this let's have another standard Let's yeah. invent a new type of USB cable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were saying to guarantee the safety of the customer and the manufacturer must be the platform provider is what they're mm -hmm. saying about oh, the safety yeah. concern. Hmm. I'm sure that that's... Which makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's totally a marketing ploy. You know, yeah. let's uh, buy our cars that are the most technologically advanced. Like, it's just, at the end of it, it's just a car. It's going to get you from point A to point B. It's nice if your radio hooks up, but it's not going to change your life. Yeah. yeah I, I think... I think uh, what's interesting is I thought GM and Ford, you know, kind of had opposing views on this a few years ago where Ford was basically, um, you know, basically going to take a car and make it the center of the universe and say, yep. you know, you're going to have a hard drive and you're going to have Wi-Fi and uh, you're going to have all of that, you know, within your car with this new amazing, you know, operating system. And, and GM at the time I know was, hey, you can go buy the Apple you know, version, or you could go buy the Android version, and they were going to make the car an extension of your mobile device. And I always thought that that was the winning, you know, that was the winner was make it, you know, the, the, it's uh, because eventually, and now I'm going to go all future and minority report on you guys. <laughs> we're not going to have laptops, right? Nope. We're going to carry around our phone, which is our connection to everything. And we're going to sit down and say, huh, you on display, you know, and right. we're going to pick the display and go and, and um and so I just it's just a losing battle that these guys are in by trying to, you know, create the next best operating system. No, forget it. Just connect mm -hmm. me to my mobile device and let me go. You know, Doug, that actually raises a really interesting point. I'm going on a trip shortly, and um, I've decided not to bring my laptop with me. Uh, instead, what? I'm going to bring a Bluetooth. Yeah, I'm going to bring a Bluetooth keyboard because typing on a phone keyboard sucks after a while. Right. And I have a Moto Z, which is the one with the Moto mods, the add-ons that you have. I have the projector mod. Yeah. So if I need to have a bigger screen, I'll just hook that up and point it at a wall. And ta-da, I have essentially a laptop. Look at that. Yep. You're, already, you're with Tom Cruise. <laughs> um, we're real just, close, except for the Scientology. Don't, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't pluck your eyes out, whatever you do. Uh, boy, that was a bit dark. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Lastly on the news uh, news docket here uh, from Marketing Dive, Twitter is l latest to add 360-degree live streaming. Twitter announced in a company blog post that the 360-degree li video live streaming to Periscope is now available in, on its main platform, video broadcasts. Uh, in the new platform will be tagged with a live 360 badge. Well, uh, users watching live, uh, live 360 posts can shift the video's perspective by moving their phone or by swiping their screen. While anyone can watch the 360 videos, only select partners can create them at this time. What is that? <laughs> well, it's because you don't want people being racist in 360-degree video, right? So <laughs> they, need to, they need to limit that. Only right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Uh, <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> so uh, th there. I mean, there's yet another widget gadget. I thought they were about to kill off the Periscope platform, if I'm not mistaken. Well, they, 
I, I thought that Twitter was dying. Like, yeah. They're not doing well over there. And I, I hope yeah. that they live 2017. They, they may not. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Yeah, they were looking for buyers, I think, earlier this year. And then uh, now they're coming out with new stuff. They in- integrated Periscope into the Twitter feed now. And now they're adding the 360. And Facebook just did the 360 mm-hmm. right. a couple of weeks ago, too, as well. Right, right. Uh, I, do my, I do my Twitter rant, my once-a-month Twitter rant. Okay, go for it. So, okay, okay, Twitter Fix quality. Yeah. <laughs> all these the sp- and all this other crap. Get the spammers off of it. Block mm-hmm. your API so that not everybody can just automate the crap out of my stream where I can't understand anything. And <laughs> and listen to me. They're 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 like the girl in, you know, the tenth grade. I loved her, but she would never listen to me. That's what <laughs> Well, and, and for me, like if I you wanted could, to sit somewhere pick a all day better and have, analogy, like, you know, huh? <laughs> eggs yell sexist crap at me, I could go somewhere else. But it's it's Twitter really needs to fix that. Since I be, since I got verification on Twitter, my experience is slightly more pleasant because you can filter out mentions based on verified status. But right. even then, I follow valuable people who aren't verified. So then it becomes an echo chamber, which is really not the point of Twitter in the first place. It's right. they've really lost their way. They have, and uh, the, the concept uh, the concept is still unique to, uh, of a short burst of information, but it's been so abused. Mm. I think they could kick off mm-hmm. 80% of the people on Twitter, yep. and it would turn into an amazing social network. Yeah, Absolutely. I agree. I would, I, would, I would agree with that. Well, on that note, uh, we're going to actually uh, step away and uh, take a break here and get back with uh, with Dana. If you are wanting to join the uh, newsletter, just simply uh, text to the number 22828, the word Edge Talk in the subject, and uh, you'll be able to join our newsletter, which we're sending out regularly about new information uh, that we've talked about on the show, who's upcoming, uh, and every once in a while, a nugget of marketing gold. Uh, free of charge, and we won't use your email except for uh, promoting the show and letting you know what's coming up. All right, coming up, so this week, we are uh, starting our No BS di- Digital Marketing with someone in a who's a huge proponent of truth in marketing. That's Dana Tamazo. Oh, Lord, see, I did it again. Dana Tamazo. <laughs> say, it, say it once correctly, ah. and then just dub it back in every time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you need to dub like a robot voice in there. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, you should hear a robot try to say my name. That's even better. <laughs> Di Tommaso. Di Tommaso. I know this. Right? Yep. Exactly. I had it. I had it. <laughs> I know. Just just, just try not to be fancy. That's what happens. People are like, oh, I got to like roll an R or something. There's, <laughs> where there's, where, there's where no would R, R be? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, can you mark this? <laughs> So we're starting our No BS Digital Marketing show, uh, shows with someone in who, who is a, ch- a huge proponent of truth in marketing. That's Dana DiTomazzo of Kickpoint, and she's on the edge. Coming up right after this. Thanks for watching and listening to our leading digital marketing podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Submit your questions and suggest an upcoming show topic. Talk to us at edgeofthewebradio.com. What internet marketing expert should you spend your valuable time listening to? Listen to someone who has over 20 years of web marketing experience and hundreds of website marketing success stories. That man is Aaron Sparks from Site Strategics. And this is Edge of the Web Radio. You are L Batman. I'm U-R-L-B-A-T-M-A-N with no empathy. I've got a high.
Welcome back to The Edge. And we are starting our No BS Digital Marketing shows uh, for 2017 with someone who is a huge proponent of the truth in marketing. That's Dana DiTomaso of Kickpoint out of Alberta, Canada here. Right? She's on The Edge today. So welcome back to The Edge, Dana. Thank you. Well, you're more than welcome. Thanks for, so much for joining us. And thanks for your, your, uh, your collaboration on the news. I really do appreciate it. Uh, Dana is a partner at Kickpoint where she applies marketing and the strategies to grow clients' businesses in particular to ensure that digital and traditional play well together. That's actually an interesting concept in its own right. In that aspect, I mean, uh, uh, literally uh, digital and traditional can certainly share a, a good collective brand uh, support. But uh, we do see regularly that you know, it's like a conventional, non-conventional mindset and there's, there can be some friction points, especially if there are collaborators from different firms or different um, uh, perspectives uh, of, of how they go about doing things. Dana, what would you think about that? Uh, you know, we have done collaborations in the past with other agencies, in particular traditional agencies, and trying to get everyone on the same page and also agreeing that this is the best decision for the client mm -hmm. is really difficult. And, and one of our philosophies is obviously... Not, it's not that the client is always right, but it's the client's business at the end of this. Right, and they right. know the customers and they know their business and what's going to work best for them. And that's not necessarily everyone's agenda. Um, we see a lot of situations, particularly with large clients or government clients, where people will say, oh, you know what, we don't want to, we don't want to seem, you know, blamey in this report when we tell them that they should really not run another AdWords campaign until they can actually track goals because we don't want to alienate them. It's like, okay, but you're literally making them waste their money. Right. So why why would you let them get away with that? And there's a lot of fear, right, around that and around saying something to a client that could result in you getting fired, but also at the end of that, why would you let them keep doing things that are bad for them in the long term? Right. You you have a, a moral obligation to call an audible and, you know, pause things until everybody can get it straight. No, I completely agree. Uh, well, well, let me introduce Dana to my to my audi our yeah. audience here. Sorry, didn't mean to cut you off there, Doug. Um, but, I, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, <laughs> Dana has been a speaker at a number of conferences, MozCon, SMX, East, West, and Advanced, Search Love, Search Fest, and a number of others. And she's also spoken about client and customer misunderstanding of work, politics and buy-in from a marketing standpoint. Social media user experience was uh, something that she spoke of uh, uh, just recently, and we certainly want to get into that. So so tell us uh, uh, tell us about yourself, Dana. Well, uh, as I mentioned in your news segment, I've been doing this for a long time now. This is my 16th year in oh. <laughs> internet marketing. It was a little bit different back in 2001. Uh, today, you could just build a bunch of links back then and call it a day. It's you know, a little bit more work <laughs> now. Uh, and I think what what certainly I've seen over my years in this industry is the more things change, the more they stay the same. Right. There's still people selling the same old crap. There's still people, you know, confident salespeople, snake oil salesmen out there selling terrible stuff to people. There's still a lot of ignorance in the business community about how this works and the best way to pay for it. Uh, and there's certainly a lot. You're going to have to pause here. Sorry. No, that's a fire truck going by. Okay. Uh, there's certainly a lot of ignorance in the business community about how this works and what you should be paying for and what you should not be paying for. Right. Uh, a lot of my job is talking to leads, and a lot of it is education. Even if they don't end up working with us, I often end up saying, look, it, no matter who you go with, you should have your own AdWords account. <laughs> you should have access to your analytics, just Absolutely. basic stuff like that. And I think that that's something that's always that's been universal the entire time. Oh, no, I, I, would, I would completely agree. And, I mean... 
Uh, we've seen so many times with whatever efforts, whatever executions, you're going to have that factor of marketers that are just going to cheat the system, try to get something done quickly, um, mm -hmm. and and ultimately burns huge relationships in the market, you know, in the trusted marketing space. That you have to, it's not not just educating the client on what they need to pay attention to, but re-educating them because maybe the education was wrong from the previous marketing company that they worked with. Yep. Well, and the other thing too is you see a lot of people are like, oh, well, what what kind of you know technical hack or marketing trick? You right. know, the people who call themselves growth hackers, right? And it's it's not <laughs> yep. growth hacking. It's it's marketing. And I know you don't want to say that because you work at a tech firm and the programmers hate the marketers. I used to work in software. I know how this works. Um, but really, at the end of this, it's it's marketing. And there's no one weird trick to get you to rank number one. And if there is you're alienating your actual customers or you're going to be banned in a couple of months. So good job with that. It's not real marketing. And I think that that's something that is difficult because real marketing takes work. There's no silver, silver bullet. You put in the time and you get the results. And that's something that's really hard for people because they hear that there's this one weird trick or there's this one silver bullet. And if they just did this one thing, then suddenly they'd be you know, getting a 2000% return on investment. That just doesn't happen. No, it doesn't. Yeah, I think that was something for us, you know, as we move forward uh, through our business, you know, we talked about these two worlds, uh, maybe not getting along or, or being threatened by one another, but um, all of our trusted partnerships, we have to develop a partner like Site Strategics um, that we can recommend to our clients. You know, we've built the credibility and trust and they're looking to us, you know, in an uneducated manner, hey, we need to pursue these areas in the digital world. What do you suggest? And we can't, A, go on Google and type somebody in and, and make a suggestion and make the wrong suggestion. And then when it fails, you know, we lose credibility. Um, so I think that we have to be open to creating partnerships and educating ourselves as from a traditional branding agency um, to developing those relationships to be able to, you know, recommend to our clients. Yeah, and actually that's that's why we ended up going to the full service agency model. Originally we were uh, mm. focused on the marketing side of things, on the SEO and PPC side. Um, and then we ended up, we have a design team now, we have a development mm -hmm. team, we do our own websites because it was really frustrating to get left out of the important decision-making pieces and then just come in later to mop up a really crap website right. um, mm. that wasn't going to get it done. And that's what's worked out really well for us. Doug, you you also are in that space where you're dealing with um, the, the traditional and the and the digital marketing, right? Yep. Thoughts on thoughts on that, sir? <laughs> She's like, uh, be kind, be kind. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know, I mean, it just goes to, I mean, Dana, I think opened up with this too. You know, it's it's all marketing. You know, it, growth hacking. Um, you know, SEO, I don't care what anybody says, is it all goes back to a foundation, the foundational principles of marketing. And and I, I think a lot of people, you know, with digital, what it did was it lowered costs so much that, you know, people could just try a bunch of crap yep. and, and they could try even more crap than they did before, you know, and there was really no repercussions for it. And then they could adjust over time and then they could call themselves a marketer because they you know, they tried crap, eventually got something to work and, and grew. Kind of lucked and, into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and I think I think now, you know, as we're working with clients, you know, and, and this is even in my own in my own backyard. You know, I I wasn't formally trained in marketing. You know, I I got into, you know, traditional marketing and database marketing 
um, you know, through direct mail and newspaper. And, and that's where, you know, the cycles were months and the costs were millions of each campaign. So we did have to, you know, think about what we were going to do and how we were going to spend that money to, you know, to optimize the result. And what I see happening now is more and more people asking the questions, you know, that, okay, we're, we're spending $2 million a year on, on this digital marketing. You know, is it really working? Is it working across these channels? Is it working, you know, and, and I, I, it's interesting because I'm just starting to see companies question things, you know, mm-hmm. deeper, see if they work instead of just chasing the next flying thing. And I'll, I'll add one more thing, and that's um, a, a quote that's been sticking with me is Michael Stelzner, you know, recently wrote that, you know, that as we're, as we're moving forward, businesses are going to have to decide, you know, what channels they want to work in instead of this notion of mm-hmm. all channels you know be everywhere every day every time every every mm. you know where everybody is you know we're getting to a point now where you just can't you just can't optimize every channel you just don't have the money time resources tools whatever and so marketers are going to have to get a lot more intelligent about mar- uh, about measuring where the results truly are and where they can make the deepest impact and yeah, she, and, yeah. and and related to that, you know, what channel is the right channel for that client? Saying to a client like, "Look, you should not be on Facebook. It's a yep. bad decision for yep. you." Yep. And it's really hard for people to hear that because they say, "Oh, I should be number one for this, or I should always be on Facebook, even though no one, no, my audience isn't. It's the wrong venue for me. You know, I don't have time." then why bother with that advertising? And and it's really difficult to have that conversation with people where you say, look, this is nice, but it's not working, so let's delete it. Look at uh, E24, for example. Um, they deleted their Facebook page, and they got bought by Yelp. They turned out okay. <laughs> I think that there's I think that there's lots of great examples of companies spending the effort in the right ways. We're all talking about the same thing uh, in different respects, is that uh, omni-channel, you really can't be all things to everyone. You need to have specialties that you can do some deep diving uh, analysis and testing. And and uh, unless you're a huge firm with m- so many different resources, you just can't be that. You need to have uh, allied partners. Uh, I, I mean, uh, Dana Cytratidis is a is a full mo- full uh, digital marketing agency model, but we certainly don't go in the sp- in the space of, of traditional marketing. This, that that's just not does is not conducive to what we're trying to do. Um, I guess my 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 uh, my next question here is: I think I think everybody's right. Is that the the companies are getting more savvy? They're now knowing what they have to pay attention to from different marketing tactics, where they really didn't understand even the key concepts. Uh, now they're in much better position, and they're starting to ask some much better questions. Um, but from a marketing standpoint, and this and you're a huge advocate of this. Um, a maturity model of brand voice consistency is a, a is a very very important area to to dial into whenever you're doing marketing for an organization. So what I'm what I'm trying to paint the picture of is there's been such an amalgam of like patchwork of different tactics, 
now there needs to be a, a, a another level of, of marketing from agencies and professionals that are making good choices on what medium to and what channel to actually pursue. But on top of that, you have to focus inwardly to what the client representation is, what the brand is that you're trying to represent and making sure that you have a, cons a brand voice that's collective. Now, that's a tee up to you, Dana, obviously, because you are you are huge in that space. So tell me, what is uh, what, what does brand voice mean to our listeners? Well, we always remind people that brand is not just the logo or the website. It's it's everything. It's how you answer the phone. It's how I feel when I walk in your front door. If you hold an event, what does it feel like? Right. When you have a podcast, you know, what is the sound of that? And does that match everything else that people uh, people experience? And does it match the kind of feeling that people are going to expect to have? And brand can be togetherness. It can also be alienating in some ways because not every person out there is necessarily a good fit for you. Mm -hmm. So a focus on a strong brand can convert uh, the people who should be converting to be your customer and will push away the people who will be terrible customers or should not be customers at all. And ideally, that's what you want to have. And so if you think back, you know, back in the old days of the internet, when you would be number one and ranking and you were the only person there, then sure, everybody might come to you. Well, now there's a lot more competition. So what will differentiate you? Uh, and often, if you think about this, for example, Google something like car insurance and don't look at the domain names of the results. Just read what the ads have to say. Right. And can you tell who the company is based on the ad copy? If you think about Geico, for example, right, or Progressive with their very strong, they've got the, the, the gecko and they've got flow. Uh, and if you try to compare their ad copy to their offline advertising, do they have the same voice, right. right? And some companies are much better at this than others. And really what we're aiming for is every piece of marketing that you put out and every engagement that happens on a day-to-day -day be in the brand's voice. And so that is where the brand values that you have as an organization come through into your voice and inform those decisions. So you spend less time thinking, how do I respond to this tweet? And more time actually responding to the tweet. And actually a great recent example of this is Wendy's. I don't know if you saw how Wendy's uh, just is owning people on Twitter. I saw that quite recently. Yeah, the where's the where's the beef thread thing? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's amazing, and I think that it really matches Wendy's brand values because, as you mentioned, they have this "Where's the beef?" right? And I mean, that's an iconic commercial from the '80s. Mm -hmm. They've always been a little bit cheeky. They lost their way for a while, yeah. and now they're back, and they are hilarious. And I'm willing to bet that sales have gone up in restaurant because of this. And it's not just because it's because they're doing something different. It's not that generic, friendly customer service voice that you see on every commercial uh, Twitter account ever. They've actually got a personality. And how sad is it that that is so unusual that it actually gets news articles written about you by having a personality <laughs> on social media, right? And what we want to have for all of our clients is to have that personality, but also that consistency and personality. I shouldn't know who's tweeting as Wendy's. If there's 10 people tweeting or if there's four people tweeting, I don't know how big that team is. It doesn't matter. It's consistent. No, absolutely. And uh, to the point as we were talking about, uh, you know, companies that work, you know, the clients that we work with are getting more and more savvy. Consumers 
are getting are obviously the 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 recipient of this messaging, and they yeah. are even more savvy. They know very quickly if tone is off, if voice consistency is off. Um, I mean, to, to communicate successfully, you need to distinguish and define your voice. But I mean, how do you do that? And and and, and for companies that haven't done it, what is the risk having? dissonance in their different broadcast methodologies and different ways they communicate are they do they truly re realize that the consumer is hearing all of those spaces that they're that they're that they're communicating into and they can easily recognize when messaging is off yeah and i think one of the easy ways to try to get buy-in um and i actually talked about this at the confluence conference in uh oklahoma city it's actually it's on youtube um and we can link to that but what I talked about there was getting by and I at the agency, agency to talk to, to a client. And, and what we want to hear there. Oh, hang on. We'll have to pause. I'm getting feedback yep. for some reason. No problem. Okay. Now I think it's better. Um, coffee cup see. again. <laughs> yeah. What is that coffee cup noise? Quit unscrewing your coffee cup. All right. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem. Yep. It's, it's, okay. it's off now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. We're back. Um, I did a video about this at the Confluence Conference in Oklahoma City. It's on YouTube. We can link to it. Mm -hmm. uh, but what I talked about there was how to get buy-in from your client perspective on brand voice. And one of the things that I said is if I went around to your company, and you could do this at your agency as well, and I asked 10 people there, why are we here? Why do we exist as a company? Uh, would I get the same answer or would I get 10 different answers? And I think that that's really a good sign of brand health. If you go into a Starbucks or 10 different Starbucks and ask the baristas what Starbucks mission, they know and they live it. And not only that, but Starbucks hires based on their brand mission. Right. And I think that's something too, where a lot of people just hire because you seem talented, you know? And so you end up with people who are probably really great at what it is that they do, but they don't fit in with the company. And so you can't trust them to speak for the company. You can't trust them to speak with the voice of the company. And so you end up with this mistrust between marketing and everyone else, which ends up resulting in, you know, growth hackers, <laughs> that sort of thing. And I think that that's something where you really do need to get everyone on the same page and really make those decisions on who's working at your company based on brand voice and making sure that people are fitting in correctly with brand. Um, and even if we take this too to the larger discussion of, you know, millennials in the workplace and there's always these stories, you know, millennials want to contribute more and they want to be more involved. Well, part of that is also making sure that they have a good fit between company and brand. And so why not look at that as you have this huge cohort of people who are looking for jobs and really they want somewhere to fit in. Why not put this together and then provide that environment? That's something that we do on our end during the onboarding phase is we collectively gather a group of agency individuals and um, client side and we all come to the table and we build that brand story together. And, you know, we, we create the voice, we create the aesthetic of the brand, we create um, the big connection idea, how they're going to talk to their, you know, their potential audience. And them being a part of that gives them ownership over it. And then they're the ones who are saying, oh, we don't do that because that's not our aesthetic. Or, you know, so it's, it's a process for us, but including them in that educational and that building process to begin with has, has really helped us control what that, what that brand and brand voice becomes. Yeah, and there's certainly the unspoken and spoken parts of brand that until you sit down and actually write it out, people don't know. So when they say in that, oh, we don't do that because this, well, is that written down anywhere? 
or do you just know that because you've been here the longest? And so that's something that's hmm. really, uh, you really want to tease out in that introductory session and say, like, tell me about the history. Tell me about it, what happens. I mean, one of the things we ask people is, what's your best day ever at your job? And that is really telling to us when we start working with a client. And we ask all our clients this regardless of if we're working with them on brand or not, because it helps us determine what's important to them and what is truly their best day at their at their job. Excellent. excellent. And this, the reality here is that brand is is not just connected to the consumer and it's not just a conversion play right i mean this is this is internal external and this is a place where values of an organization are set and i mean there certainly is a uh, once that value is set the 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 the, the the uh, voice is defined, and that can certainly help differentiate a company against another company. But uh, from a value standpoint, right? This is this is an exercise in 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 in, in personnel, in management, in in vision. Um, it's not just putting uh, word usage consistently in the same in the same type of manner across different mediums. It, it, yep. it certainly is symptomatic of it. I mean, that is a, a factor of the cause. But, I mean, concepts like word length and sentence and length and cliches and contradictions, those are how message gets sent and how the tone actually is is uh, uh, delivered. But we're talking about a, a number of other other concepts, or enterprise-centric. Uh, uh, and... This has a lot deeper factors, and and you wrote just recently regarding brand values of of Kickpoint, uh, who you work with, and you've actually focused on an, uh, an icon uh, that all of the uh, uh, all of your uh, uh, contributors and uh, personnel can get behind. And it's the lighthouse icon, the the, uh, the 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 concept that you you're bringing together everyone around, and you can actually. Um, center on your value and being a, a lighthouse that will prevent decision-making inside your organization uh, faltering is that it, it, if it doesn't, it, if it doesn't match the, the values and the, uh, the, the, pers- the, the pursuit that you have inside your organization, then you won't make those decisions. So, I mean, we're talking a holistic thing here and I hate even going into that type of, you know, that type of uh, nebulous area, but it, that's where brand is derived from, is it not? Yeah, and it's certainly, I mean, it sounds nebulous, but it can be applied really concretely. And that's something that um, is almost the next evolution. So once you have it defined, what are you going to do with it? And that's where you have training and coaching. And training is, you know, here's your brand voice. Here's how you're going to write on it, doing workshops and that sort of thing. And here's how you apply it in your day-to-day life. And then coaching is actually watching and listening and providing feedback. Uh, And we do long coaching engagements with clients until they get comfortable with the voice and having a few people who are the brand champions and can help their coworkers uh, really get into the idea of this is our brand. Because this is something very new to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and what we've seen too is we were working with an organization here in Alberta that uh, we are working with one division of a larger organization on brand. And then when they all merged together, then we're working with a larger organization doing the brand work again slight change of the brand voice, but similar roots. And we saw that the people who had been through the previous brand training picked this up and ran with it, mm. even with the variation of voice, much faster than the people who hadn't. So it is something that you can learn and start to apply. And it's 
um, we do have in the training. It's it's almost like a score when we provide the coaching. You know, we color code based on how well you're doing in adhering to the different brand attributes from red, yellow, and green. And if you get a green report, that's great. And if you get a red report, that's not so great. <laughs> and people like to see the green and the red. And it's almost a little bit of uh, not quite gamification, but certainly providing that really instantaneous feedback. So it's easier for people to understand, oh, this is why, instead of just saying, oh, that's not that's not on brand right. and just leaving it at that. That's not enough. You have to say why. Well, um, how does, so we're talking about the execution that it can be concrete uh, to be able to uh, you know, be a, a baseline of all deliverables, all communication standards. But how does a brand and uh, how, how does a company start defining and, and, and envisioning and what's the process that, that they can actually execute to find that brand for themselves? Because for a number of companies I know that are listening to this can look at themselves in the mirror and say, we've got none of those standards. We have no base uh, concept of how we're supposed to say things from a marketing standpoint, let alone vision and values inside this organization. Now, this is a big issue. This is a big discussion and you can't you can't jump into everything, but I mean just mm-hmm. from an outward facing consumer orientation, how does a how does a company start with defining its brand uh for consumption? I think from our end, you have to know where you are, where you're living in this space to start with. Mm-hmm. So, we have to be able to conduct research and and see how you're measuring up, what your clients want to hear, what's working, what's not working, um, before you can place any strategy um, to begin a project. Um, if we, we don't have those answers when we start, we're, we're just grabbing at the wall at that yeah. point. So I think for us, it's, it's research that starts the process and then we move to making strategic decisions. And then once um, we implement those, you know, it, it's concrete for the brand. The brand begins to build itself and build value because we know what we have suggested is going to work. What do you think, Dana? Yep. Yeah, and I think lots of interviews as well. That's that's really okay. what you get into. And not just interviews with the C-level, right? Because, right. you know, well, my word goes, yeah, but let's talk to somebody who's on the front line talk, dealing with customers every day. And let's talk to your customers and see how they feel about you. Um, Lost you. Um, and let's talk about... Oh, did you? Yep. Let me know when I'm back. You're back. Do you hear me now? Yep. Okay, I'll start again. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, interviews are really key, a part of this process. And not just from the C-level, actually talking to the people who are on the front lines dealing with customers every single day. So going back to that Starbucks example, I don't just want to talk to the CEO and CMO of Starbucks. I want to talk to people who are behind the counter at Starbucks serving those drinks. And I want to talk to customers, not just the most devoted customers. I want to talk to them, but I want to talk right. to the casual customer as well and get a diversity of opinions. What does this company mean to you? And then from there, distill it down into those core principles. And really, it's uh, it's it's also what words are going to make sense to you, right? And so people will write things like, oh, transparent. Well, yeah, but transparent isn't just good. It can be bad too. So you have to, as part of the brand, understand how that can be good and also understand the negative of that. So for example, from uh, Kickpoint, one of our brand values is vocal. And what that means is that if you do something and we don't agree with it, we're going to tell you, which works for the clients who like that sort of thing, okay. but not everybody does. Right? Sometimes they just want to 
put the money into the marketing black box and then marketing comes out the other end and they don't want any feedback or any discussion or any talk back as part of that process. So that means that we're not a good fit for every lead because of that. And that's something where you could say, oh, well, that might limit the size that we grow or the types of clients that we take on. It's like, yeah, but that's the decision that we've made. And I think that that's something that's really important for a company to realize when they choose those values. You can't pick something like friendly because friendly is just, that's how you should exist in the world. It's not a brand value. Right. You know? uh, pick something that's actually going to be meaningful, both positively and negatively. Dana, uh, I have a question for you. We, we experience this a lot, you know, when we, we tell clients that we need to interview um, all the different levels of, of audience members and, and internal and external, that the way they see themselves and they think that the, the client or their potential audience sees them is actually completely opposite. <laughs> um, and sometimes that's, that's a hard discussion and they don't want to hear it. And, you know, just like any natural state, we're always going to be protective. But do you experience that a lot, that, it, that it's very different from that side? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really hard for clients to hear. And that's almost part of the sales process to say, look, this is this is not going to be, like we're not going to go hold hands and traipse through a field <laughs> of daisies, right? Like this is going to be hard and you're going to ask yourself some questions, including why did you hire us? <laughs> and at the end of it though, you right? Yep. Anything yeah. anything worth doing is slightly painful, right? Like, like going to the gym. <laughs> if it hurts, it means it's working. And I think that that's, it doesn't have to be, that painful, but it can be for an organization who's never really looked within. Um, and in that case, really, you do have to have the leadership as champions of this process or else they're just going to check out and then no one will adopt it because the CEO doesn't care. Mm -hmm. I think that that's something that's also really important. And, and part of our sales process is also finding out like who's going to approve this and do they have buy-in and are they actually interested in doing this or is this your, your pet marketing project? Oh, that's wow. <laughs> Right? You you don't want to sit on a dusty shelf and nobody actually implements it. Um, and also including part of this process is a change management process and saying, you know, this is going to be hard. Change sucks. Nobody likes it, right? Like that old book, Who Moved My Cheese? Yeah, uh, is, right? So, yeah. And then what are you going to do about that? What's your plan? Other than we're going to do a brand voice. Everybody adopt it. Like that's not a plan. So let's figure out an actual plan to make it happen. Those are some, those are some tough conversations to have. And I don't know if... Uh, well, I do know that there's not a lot. There's a lot of companies that are not ready for that level of the commitment. It is, and, and self scrutiny. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, yep. they'll move on from marketing firm to marketing firm for the sheer fact that they don't want to look at themselves in the mirror. They don't want to see their yeah. misalignment. Yeah, their know? issues. Yeah. Yep. So that's, yep. that's they tough. just want they just want the results, and I think that that's I mean, that's part of the sales process for us. It's one of the reasons why we've chosen to stay right. uh, a small firm is that we know that not every client in the world is really excited about doing this, and so really you don't want to be taking on clients and trying to talk them into something they're not ready for just because you have to pay the bills. Yeah, um, and it, part of it too is we don't not every client we work with is ready for brand. And some of them say, you know what, I will be ready for that eventually. But right now, I just really need my AdWords to not suck. Mm. You know, <laughs> or, you know, I have this really messed up website that I hired this beautiful web design firm to do it for me. And it was great. And it won all these awards and our organic traffic went down by 70%, right? Exactly. So where do we start, right? And so sometimes it's like, okay, so we're not going to, you know, mow the lawn while the house is on fire. Let's uh, figure out what we're going to do first. And brand that. may not be the first thing. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I, I would I would rather somebody pull back. You know, you don't want to get in a relationship with somebody when they're not ready to commit. So, yep. 
And it's also good to have that kind of sussing out period and seeing is is this company ready to actually do this? Um, another thing that we we do that's a little bit different from other agencies is we train the client on how to implement their strategies themselves in the long term. So once we've worked with a client for anywhere from six months to a year, possibly longer, eventually they should be able to take over some of the work that we do for them, such as SEO or link building or PPC. And we're here to provide strategic guidance, but the day-to-day -day stuff doesn't need to be done by us um, because you're there you know the brand, you know your company, we've taught you the tools on how to make this stuff go, but really it's the most cost-effective and knowledge-wise, it's better for you to be able to implement this yourself. And I think that that's something too where we really want to work with a company who wants to have this sort of empowerment and knowing your brand voice and knowing your brand is also a form of empowerment. Hmm. Did, you have, did you have something to say there? Well, I was just going to say that, that you know, a, a lot of times for, we've learned over time for you know, because we're writing content for marketing and tech firms. And it's it's typically, you know, really high-end content that's complex and um, it requires a combination of the finesse of, you know, understanding the technology and understanding the voice of the client is that we love going backwards and doing the branding exercise because mm -hmm. it actually saves us a lot of time and a lot of rework. You know, when we, when we used to have people coming to us and saying, Hey, can you guys develop a you know an infographic and white paper on this topic, and and we would you know close the deal and take off and and going. It typically caused a lot of rework for us, and it was because you would get things like it doesn't really sound like us. I, I'm not sure it really speaks to the audience. I'm not sure, and you and you go back and forth because what we did was we put ourselves in the clients or the customers or prospects' foot and developed it with that voice in mind, you know, and of course analyzed, you know, the, 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 the client online. But honestly, since they had never gone through the exercise and they don't really know what their voice is and they don't really understand what their clients are looking for, um, you know, it, it, was, it was a fruitless effort. And so now we do it all the time that we, we basically do a full assessment with a client before we ever even start down the content path and and we work backwards and we say you know what you're not ready for this yet there it we're is. not yep. we're not ready to write content for you yet because we know we're going to write it four times before they like it so we'd much rather go back and do the branding exercise and then give that to our copywriters and designers and get them to to fully put themselves in 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 the feet of our clients and then we can execute and our clients are happy and it's you know one time that we do the work no, that's, those are fantastic points of view. And I think we're all circling around the same thing is that you've got to have brand strategy starting an engagement and it cannot be something that can be summarily dismissed by a client if you want to have a level of quality of, of, of uh, branding, quality of voice, quality of, of uh, communication in all of these different mediums, you have to have that as the cornerstone. I mean, it, it makes perfect sense as we're all talking about it. But in reality, whenever you're bringing a budget for strategy and then a budget for executions after that, what's the first thing to go? I mean, if, if a client's not mature to the degree of understanding how invaluable that is, although you parallel it to whatever they do in their business, and they, and there's a, they certainly understand. I mean, if it's an architecture, architecture firm, you know that they have to make the plans before they ever go to the contractors, right? I mean, there's so many similarities in so many different industries. But in marketing, 
and I think this has to do with what, how we started the original conversation here. In marketing, we who are embracing and adopting this level of maturity in a, uh, in a marketing uh, pursuit, the, we've been kind of hurt by the cheap marketers, the angling marketers, the ones that have just done the, the, the tactics and the execution without having this, this core foundation. Would you agree there? Oh, absolutely. And actually, I just was reminded of an analogy that we used in an email to a lead uh, quite recently. And it said, you know what? Mm -hmm. You can buy a parka. This is a very Canadian example. You can buy a parka <laughs> for $30 yeah. or you can buy one for $300. There's only one form when it's minus 40 outside. And, you know, so it's up, it's up to you what you want to do. And if you want to buy the cheap parker, you want to buy the good one. And really just illustrating it like that and saying, if you want to do this right the first time, or do you want to keep buying a new coat every six months because right. the previous coat was too cold, it, it's up to you what you want to do. And that can really, it either works well or it makes someone say, well, I'm offended by that. And then they take off, which is fine. Um, but really it's, it's for someone who's been that agency flipper, because they're yep. always chasing these ridiculous promises and, and really sitting them down and saying, look, what do you want out of this? You know, do you want to buy cheap shoes that are going to last you a week or do you want to buy a pair of quality shoes that are going to last you many, many years? And I think that that's, that's a difficult decision for people to make if they've never actually had to think about it before. Right. Um, and, for other, and for other people, it just comes naturally. They, they know what they want. Well, I mean, this this is this conversation certainly begets uh, multiple conversations. I would love to have this as a consistent thread of discussion because we need to see more and more agencies take this approach. Uh, this is the way you do marketing, and it's hard work, and you have to have a buy-in. You have to have the principles of all companies, all firms getting working together, and and you know understanding what it is to be able to represent. Uh, a, a, a client in uh, in a marketing approach from multiple channels of marketing and and be able to move that that brand voice out and get it consistent uh, in all the different areas of marketing. Um, you you did talk about I did want to cut, touch on one other thing uh, uh, in our interview, Dana, and it was uh, the, the MozCon interview that uh, 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 um, uh, promotion uh, not promotion conference presentation that you gave uh, uh, a couple of years back and Tom actually had some insights. Uh, I hate to drop this concept because it is so, so, so solid. But as you were talking about uh, your interactions with clients, and I think it does have a lot to do with what we've been talking about. When you, you said that you never spoke the word conversions in front of a client from a performance standpoint. And I and there's been a num number of other presentations you've given about how how you work with clients, and that you just don't showcase just the winning uh, lead generation techniques, uh, and it does have a tie into brand consistency. Tell me about how you present success to your clients as they are working with you, as they've bought into your strategies, as you are working in all the different uh, mediums. How do you present true success for a client where, you, where you're avoiding the word conversion? Well, I think if we're doing a really great job, the client knows the success is happening right? Um, right. without us right. needing to present it to them, right? They'll yep. email and say, wow, I got all these new phone calls and I'm sure it's from you before I get the report, right? 
Um, but a lot of it is talking to the client about what they prefer as well. Some clients are already Google Analytics wizards and they don't need us oh, wow. to make a you know fancy report for them. Other clients, like just this is the one metric I care about. Tell me about this. And they don't say metric. They say, you know, my most important thing is I want to make sure that I'm getting sales. Right. So we say, all right, so what's your CRM? How can we report back on sales as a result of different channels? And, and really thinking about the steps that we need to take now before we do anything to make sure it's set up correctly. Um, you know, not just thinking about analytics when it's time for the report, but thinking about analytics before you even do anything. Yeah, absolutely. Before you start any marketing whatsoever, right? Uh, and other clients don't actually know. So we'll say, well, show us what reports you've done in the past and thinking about why and, and asking them, you know, when you gave this to your CEO or your boss, why was this? Is there something that we can do to help educate them uh, on why you shouldn't be tracking likes as your primary metric of success on, on Facebook, for example? We don't right. get that as much anymore, but we certainly used to several years ago. Uh, and really trying to figure out what is going to show the most success for the client. So, for example, one of our clients um, is a convention center, and one of their success metrics is showing the amount of money that they've brought into the city by having concerts and conventions and, and meetings happen at their facility. So that's a really, they have a formula on how they calculate that. Yeah. But what they want to know is how much how much of that can be attributed to digital channels versus their uh, offline marketing that they do. And they're slowly pulling back in their offline marketing and pushing more to digital, but they've never had a CRM in place. Mm. So it's looking at it and saying, okay, so we know that these were submitted leads, but we don't know what happened to the leads once they got into the system. So right. it is actually some manual work to figure out who were these leads, did they sell? Okay, great, that one was from AdWords, okay. You know, and it was from this specific keyword. Right. Or this one was a display ad, or this one, and because they deal with not a lot of volume, you can manually go back and do that, and that's something their marketing department works a lot on. Um, and with other clients who've worked with home builders, for example, who say, we do radio and we do billboards and we do digital, and how are we gonna track this? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes people just go to a show home. Okay, well, let's track the number of people who walk into the show home as a percentage of web traffic and see if you get more web traffic, does that roughly, does that continue to be, let's say, always 5%. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, you have like a thousand people come to the website in a week, you have 50 people come to the show home in a week, right? If does that go up at the same percentage? Does that have always have the same ratio? And in, in it did, which was great. <laughs> it was just, it was a theory we were testing out with the client, but also being honest with the client and saying, all right, let's figure this out together. Let's figure out a way that we're going to make these stats make sense for you and really being open to new opportunities and new ways right. of reporting that aren't necessarily, you know, we use dashboards. Uh, you know, we use a product called Dash This for dashboards. We like it. We use Rival IQ quite a bit for social reporting. Rival Excellent. IQ is amazing, yes, you know, is. and their Google Analytics integration is just getting better and better. Um, and also Rival IQ are really great people. Steph is awesome. If you ever have product suggestions, yep. <laughs> everyone email him now. Um, but I think... With Rival, particularly, they've got great export options, but we're not just going to, by default, send a landscape export to a client and say, here you go, here's your report. You have to provide context. And I think that that's something that, um, and I talked about it in that MossCon presentation from a couple of years ago. Yeah, your reporting is going to have to be a little bit manual. And a lot of people who are very focused on volume are like, oh, it's terrible. <laughs> I talked to some people after that talk who are like, we're never going to do that. And it's like, all right, well, that's that's cool. That's your brand. But, but you know, it, so, it, so go it, ahead it, and do that. But, but it does represent some of the same principles that we're talking about here is that mm -hmm. marketing is hard work and getting yep. a buy-in on, on a report 
you have to work with the client and correlate. You have to yep. get them to buy into what you're going to be reporting on a regular basis so you can sew that together. Otherwise, you're not talking their native language. You yeah, can and, certainly and pull really in data. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, and at the end of this, it's not our report, it's the client's report, right? Exactly. It's not it's not our leads and our sales, it's their leads and their sales. And so what language do they use? How do they describe Absolutely. that? Maybe they use the word conversion. Cool. Then we can say talk about conversions, but most of them don't. Right. And so how are you going to describe that? Don't don't make them speak your language because that's what you're comfortable with. Yep. Right? No. Speak in the language that works for the client. That's a great takeaway right there. Fantastic. Well, I want to wrap up our interview. I really do appreciate your time, Dana. We honestly, I could talk to you for hours about about <laughs> about the, these areas. I mean, and trust me, I've been known to do it. So, I mean, don't test me. Uh, but we would certainly love to have you back on the show and talk more about this. I think, I mean, for 2017, our goal is to have these type of conversations that can truly be getting down into the key principles of why marketers do what they do and what companies should know and how companies that hire marketing firms, uh, how they should be able to assess uh, what they're getting from their current marketing firms is really what they need. Uh, because this, I mean, the show is an education for both marketers as well as as companies that that need marketing and that are pursuing that. So uh, we really appreciate your your uh, your, your contribution. Um, I did want to ask you what bugs you in your industry in our industry right now. Oh, people who well, I mean, yellow pages. In <laughs> So actually Canadian Yellow Pages to be specific. So in Canada, <laughs> Yellow Pages still has a lot of clout okay. versus the U.S. where it's not as much. Right. Um, and they have these sales reps who just promise the world yes, 500 bucks a month. And yep. uh, now they have this new thing that they're doing where they call people and say, you know, do you want to do a trial? And people say yes. And then they say, okay, you've just agreed verbally on the phone to a contract for a year because I was recording You've got to be kidding me. Oh no, that's a new oh, exciting thing. Gosh. So, so we have a blog post that's lived that that I wrote before Kickpoint existed, um, <laughs> when I was freelancing, about how Yellow Pages is terrible and everyone should not use them, <laughs> and it ranks really well for phrases like "How do I get out of my Yellow Pages contract?" So, there's this comment thread going on for years now. I think I think the post is about six or seven years old at this point of people just telling their Yellow Pages horror stories, so it keeps ranking better and better. And um, I've actually connected people. There's a woman who's starting a class action lawsuit in Thunder Bay. And her way when somebody new comments on the blog. And I'll go talk to her, get on her, her class action lawsuit. Wow. Because it's, uh, I think that that's horrifying. And I think people trust Yellow Pages because they're so used to it for years, right? That was the thing that you the used. Foundation. And, <laughs> yeah. And so why wouldn't you trust these people? And, and it's, yeah. I they are a... the bane <laughs> of my existence. Yeah. Doug, what you got? Well, we have one of those for Yelp on ours. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. I'll tell yeah, you. Yelp, Yelp is not as aggressive here as it is for our American clients, for yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. The Yellow Pages one, the one that I love that they do down here is they send you a, a slip that basically says, hey, is all your information correct in the Yellow Pages? Um, and when you make any, when you make any change, mm -hmm. you are doing exactly what you said. You're signing up for a contract. So all of a sudden you get an invoice you know, two weeks later, and it's for like $600 for the year. <laughs> yeah, it's, 
and evil. Then, it really is. And the best part is when you, you know, because this happened to me personally, is when you write back and say, you know, kiss my ass. I didn't, I didn't sign up for <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. it. Then they send you to collections. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> Wow. Well, you know, I'm glad Yellow Pages is keeping collection industries alive. That's, that's <laughs> Somebody's got to, right? They're providing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. And, and as a business owner, like, you don't know, right? Or when those people call and say, hello, yeah. I'm calling from Google. Can you verify this information? They're not calling from Google, but how are they supposed to know? Yeah. And I think that that's a lot of where <laughs> companies like Google have a responsibility to not suck as much with customer service as they do. I would happily pay a fee have access to Google places to talk to somebody and not just their kind of mediocre support line, right? Well, I think but they're going to plan that. I think that's going to be in 2020, they're going to roll out the pay <laughs> pay to get access to Google because you just uh, can't. And that's well, probably a billion dollar in, industry now. right there. Yeah. yeah, you can pay for access to Google now. It's called AdWords. <laughs> but they don't help with anything else, right? And I think that that's... Exactly. It, customer service has never been a focus of Google, and I think either they're going to have to deal with it, or some somebody please make a search engine, not DuckDuckGo because the name is silly, but somebody make a search engine that is better so that we can talk to people. That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, not like they don't have enough money. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, they'll probably spin <laughs> off a a a, a, a different a different uh, search engine inside the Alphabet uh, organization and start trying to incubate <laughs> that. Anyway, hey, what what excites you about your industry right now? Because there, there's certainly a lot of, I mean, there there are there's a lot of new things on the horizon, and there's a lot of adoption of best principles in marketing. Uh, so so, what do you think? What's what's really happening right now that you can get excited about? Oh boy! Well, now that I'm just I'm excited that eventually Yellow Pages might uh, die might off. Go out of this. <laughs> 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 uh, honestly, I think. This is kind of snarky, but it's the traditional agencies who are like, ah, social media, that's a fad. And they're like, look, we do digital, we promise. And they they don't really. Um, but I think that that's actually what's interesting and, and exciting is that these agencies are really scrambling to catch up now. And it makes you feel good that you were right all those years ago, that yep. this was going to be the way it things was go. A, it, was a, it was a risky bet there, wasn't it? Yeah, and I think I think I do like the disruption that is happening in the industry right now. I think it's good that some of... Uh, we've seen a lot of traditional agencies close up shop. And yep. I think that that was important because it's one less place for a company to waste their money on something that isn't going to work. That used to work, but yep. it's 2017 now. It's not going to work. Absolutely. So I got to ask you, I got to ask you, how do you make your own tonic water? <laughs> uh, my business partner tossed that onto my amazing but true facts. <laughs> so, yeah, she she thought it was hilarious. Um <laughs> Thanks, Jen. So, <laughs> make your own tonic water. if you Google, how do I make my own tonic water? The first result is the recipe I used. Basically, you take uh, this the bark. I don't even know how to pronounce it properly. It's called chinchoa bark or something like uh-huh. that. You can buy it in most spice stores. You stick that in a jar with a zest of various citrus fruits and lemongrass and uh, a whole bunch of other spices. And you stick that jar in your fridge for three days and you shake it at least once a day. Yeah. Um, and then you take that syrup drain all the crud out of it and you take that uh, syrup and you mix it up with some simple syrup and you know more simple syrup if you like a sweet tonic less if you don't uh, and then you take your soda stream and essentially you add syrup to the carbonated water and then that's your tonic water how long does this process take <laughs> uh, three days three days three days plus finding a spice store that sells you that stuff so uh, so they don't have tonic water in canada is that what you're telling me they, here? they do have tonic water in canada <laughs> <laughs> not 
I wanted to try something really hipster, and I felt that this nice. was the way to go. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but it did turn out well. It makes a ton, so it's not for <laughs> it's not for personal use. It's you know, I'm going to have a party, <laughs> and everyone is going to drink gin and tonics, and they're going to like it. So the so the craft tonic industry. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. that's the next one. They're having a tonic one. party, not a keg <laughs> party. <laughs> the reason why I decided to do it in the first place is I was out at this great uh, bodega, and they have. Uh, this homemade tonic water, and there's this tonic, it's a Canadian uh, gin called Ngava, and it comes from the Northwest Territories, and it's all uh, locally foraged. See how hipster this is? Locally foraged. Absolutely. You know, and whatnot. Anyway, it tasted amazing with the homemade tonic in a way that it doesn't with the commercial tonic, and so that's why I really wanted to try it is to keep making that for myself at home. So, And Excellent. I don't even know if you can get Ngava tonic in the U.S., but if you can, you should try it. It's a bright yellow. It looks really weird, but it tastes delicious. I think you're going to have to go. You're, you're going to have to mail us some. You realize that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that'll be just fine. <laughs> so, what happened to your fantasy football league this year? Oh man, I so last year I did great, and then this year um, I must have had some Colts on it or something. Oh um, wow! Oh, sorry, <laughs> I know. Really, I, at the end I of the interview. <laughs> I had a lot of injuries is what happened. Um, and I thought I was on the upswing and that was the week that AJ Green got injured in the first like 18 seconds of the game yep. and he got zero points for me. And so, yeah, it was, it was not a good season yep. and I made really terrible bench decisions. Yeah. I'm a so Bengals fan. My so. moral of the story for this year is don't pay attention to the internet because the internet steered me wrong multiple times. Yeah. I'm a Bengals fan. So I felt that pain. Yeah. I, I, I didn't do fantasy football. This was first year I didn't do fantasy football, but yeah, I, I followed the Bengals and that was, that was a rough week for sure. But yeah, I have I had Green and Hill this year, and wow. I like the Bengals, um, but I was really disappointed by how it turned out. <laughs> Since you're in Canada, do they do a Canadian fantasy football league? Well, we only have nine teams in our football league, so there's really not, not really. that many players to okay. choose. <laughs> Essentially, is the CFL is the fantasy football of everyone who couldn't yeah. get into the NFL. But it's, <laughs> you have a chance to watch CFL. I'm a big fan. I'm a Hamilton Tiger Cats fan, um, and there are a lot of great players who just couldn't quite make it into the NFL. Sure. Um, one of the most exciting ones, his name, his nickname is Speedy Banks, Brandon Banks, and he is the tiniest, tiniest a punt receiver. Uh, but he is incredibly fast. He scores so many touchdowns and punt receptions and on kickoff receptions. And he's he couldn't make it in the NFL because he's too small and he would get killed. Yes. But in the <laughs> CFL, he's great. Uh, so if you ever have a chance, they show CFL games and ESPN. Um, we're done for the season because it's too cold now. Yeah. But season starts in June. I would I would recommend checking out a game or two. Go watch uh, Go watch Speedy Banks. Got it. Yep. Something to, to, to something to uh, the name <laughs> you wish you had. <laughs> Speedy Banks. Speedy Banks. And the other thing about the CFL, my other plug is there's only three downs, not four, so okay. it's way faster. Yeah, and yeah, that, that, it's got, like 120, it 120 yard field, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, we're mixing everything. Yeah, like up. An arena. No, Is that it's the outdoor. same size. No, it's it's oh, arena football. Like the same. Oh, no, it's bigger than arena football. Oh, yeah, okay. it's bigger than NFL yeah. field. Arena's That's probably half the size of an NFL. But, yeah. yeah well, why would they do that? Lighter. Just to do that? Just to, just to spite <laughs> conventional football? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's because it's, I think it's got more roots in rugby than oh. uh, what football's got to. So. And it's a wider field, so you have a lot more throwing as well. Gotcha. Well, uh, we certainly want to promote the Kickpoint weekly newsletter. Uh, you can go check it out at kickpoint.ca forward slash contact forward slash newsletter. Uh, you guys send that out every Friday and talk about a lot of digital marketing news and resources from the past week as well as something musical and something fun and cute or weird. 
and no tonic <laughs> references uh, during that particular <laughs> newsletter, right? There may have been a tonic water reference in the one right before Christmas. I yep. can't remember. Yep. Yeah. And I, I might have it been drinking be. a gin and tonic at the time. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dana, thank you so much for your time today. We certainly enjoyed uh, talking about these concepts, and you are always welcome back to the show. We enjoyed it immensely. Any any final words uh, for our, our marketer listeners uh, to the edge? Well, I would say just uh, try to keep spending your time separating out the marketing BS from the real stuff. There's a lot of one weird trick, and that might work for that person, but it may not work for you. Remember, one trick ponies get shot. That's right. Ian is, <laughs> and uh, the dark Ian got comes that right. out again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to go dark there, but you know, hey, she did it first in her presentation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, uh, Dana. And uh, we'll certainly be... Uh, putting this on social media and doing a bit of a transcript of this show come Tuesday-ish. Uh, and uh, we certainly appreciate some social lift that, that's out there uh, uh, from you as well. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So uh, kickpoint.ca, go check that out. Dana, thank you so much. And uh, we'll be talking to you soon. All right. Thanks. All thank righty. You. We're going to jump into the seas of marketing technology with none other than the purveyor of all things marketing tech. That is Douglas Carr of Marketing Technology Blog, coming up right after this. As we're talking to digital marketing thought leaders every week, we want to hear from our listeners. Any questions you want us to answer for today's search engine marketing trends? Talk to us now at edgeofthewebradio.com. You hear that? It's the Web Marketing Revolution, led by our team of web design and web marketing professionals at Site Strategics. Stay ahead of search engine marketing and social media trends by never missing a second of this show. Edge of the Web. Here's Aaron Sparks. Well, you're listening to Edge of the Web Radio. Welcome to 2017 version of uh, Edge of the Web. Uh, you were talking... Internet marketing, internet content trends of 2017, you'll hear nowhere else because this is our first show of 2017. It and, is. And you will not hear it anywhere else. Nope. Ha! The show is presented by Site Strategics. Uh, we are an Indianapolis-based uh, digital marketing firm. We're online at sitestrategics.com, S-I-T-E, strategics.com. And you can catch all the information at the show of the show uh, from the site, edgeofthewebradio.com. We have all the videos and audio and much, much more. Doug, it's great to see you in 2017. I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy you made it through New Year's. Uh, well, just barely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, was a, it was a night like no other. It was like I was 22 years old again. Um, I, only, I, 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 saw, I saw a bit of social media on that one, then I had to turn away. <laughs> only I'm not, so it took two days to recover. Oh, not good. Well, uh, hey, what's going on in the world of Marketing Tech Blog? Oh, man. You name it. We're doing it. Um, I was actually having a talk. Flamingos. Uh, what's that? Flamingos. Flamingos? Uh, you said to name something. And uh, <laughs> are you doing anything with flamingos? That was terrible. <laughs> so... And now, instead of insulting me on the introductions, you're just going to throw some random rude. words. Albuquerque. Gee whiz. <laughs> now, uh, we, we've just been hard at work. We've got a new theme coming for the site uh, that's really going to freshen it up. We've been working on the email um, for the last week or so. 
Um, so be sure to sign up uh, at marketingtechblog.com slash subscribe because bingo bo bo boo we added our podcast to our email. Oh, so, very cool. Of course, if somebody gets their you know podcast migrated, we'll uh, <laughs> put that one in there as well. Um, I put it on the calendar for next Friday. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully we can work it out then. That's fantastic. Um, and it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing how many more listens you get when you uh, when you push it, you know, via email like that. Very so, cool. very cool. Uh, <clears throat> And, uh, and so, so you're just going to see a lot of changes with the Marketing Tech Blog. Of course, our marketing, our MarTech community um, is really going strong. We hit 500 people uh, and just launched it, you know, basically a week ago. So um, there's always, already some great conversations in there. Someone had a conversation about, you know, FAA licensing of drones for, you know, use with video. Yeah. Uh, their video question about gimbals, using gimbals, you know, so... We're already getting some really good high-end, you know, questions and answers in there. So if you if you want a invitation to that, just go to share.marketingtechblog.com and uh, ask for an invite, and we'll uh, we'll send you in one. So um, so be sure to do that. And then uh, of course, uh, one of the things that we were talking about, you know, we we I don't know if you know this, but Harrison Painter has uh, joined the team at DK New Media. If you guys didn't know, Harrison used to own a uh, agency, moved it out to LA, sold the agency. Uh, did quite well and really, uh, you know, within, within the L.A., within the West Coast, saw a number of, you know, just incredible events. You know, there's such a huge uh, number of people out there that networking events, you know, some of them were really special. Like one of them that he used to do, literally they would have a rock band open up the networking event. Right. And, and then the rock band would sit down and join for the Q&A period and everything else. And um and and so he brought some of those notions back and has been running some regional events here and then we we want to start doing events as well as it's one of the reasons why we moved into the speakeasy um, but one of the things that we were talking about was how terrible network events uh, were maybe are <laughs> always <laughs> in the, uh, you know, and and I, I you know I mean I, I love going to these events and I, I love going and meeting people. But a lot of times I feel as if I'm just getting sold to the whole time. Yep, absolutely. Or I just don't feel like there's a constructive methodology to, to getting in there. And so uh, we wrote a, a post, and if you scroll down on that page, it should be there. It's, it's on elevator pitches. And um, one of the cool things that Harrison does uh, at his events is he doesn't ask people for their elevator pitch. He actually asks them within 30 seconds you know, to talk about why they're an awesome person. And it puts people on the spot. They don't get time to think about it beforehand or anything. Um, but what winds up coming to mind is something that you're really passionate about. So, right. you know, for me, it's, you know, I was a, I was a Navy veteran and, and a single dad. Those are probably the first two things that, you know, kind of stand out. Right. You know, uh, for you, people don't know this, Aaron, right? But, you know, martial arts is a huge thing. Um, you know, outdoors, uh, hunting and, and guns, you know, are, are big. Tom, yep. it's uh, uh, cleaning up after your dog. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and peanut butter. And I, I swear I'm wake, beginning waking up more in the middle of the night from my dog than I am my kid. <laughs> so annoying. <laughs> Tom's got a baby. And, and so those are, of course, things that, that pop to mind with that. Well, the, the reason why that's important is... 
<clears throat> when you're going to an event and there's just strangers around is you, you want to make an impression. And you're not going to make an impression just by walking in and saying, oh, I'm an agent, full service agency that does, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, people are, you know, first and, and the post kind of goes into this. The first right. thing, you're assuming that somebody wants those services. And the chances are that when you're going to one of these events, the prospect isn't standing in front of you. Um, you know, the, the second part of it is when you go into an elevator pitch, you're ignorant of any problem, problems that that person standing across from you might have. And so how do you, you know, uh, obviously, if you can listen to some of the problems that the person across from you is having and you know you can solve some of those problems, right? you know, your conversation, instead of pitching them, you can tell them, oh, you know what, we, we can help with that. We did this for this client or whatever. And then, and then uh, lastly, I, I alluded to it, but your target really isn't at the networking event at all. And I really mean this. And, and you think about our relationship. Right. Uh, you know, you and I have attended quite a few things together. Gone else. When has a prospect, you know, been sitting there? You know, it's always, it's always away from there. It's when you're meeting with, right. you know, a marketing tech company. Like, hey, you know, we do the edge of the web with Doug Carr. You know, I can, I can get you introduced to them. Or vice versa with me. Right. I'm, is, is you know what we know an agency that that just does an outstanding job at the and has those services. Let me get you talking to Aaron. And now when you think about that, here's the difference: is um, the first thing is when you talk about thirty seconds to awesome. It's hey, the first thing I'm going to do is make a massive impression with you that you can't forget who I am. You're not going to forget that I was a Navy vet or you know a single dad. Right. But you forget if I was an agency and he did. He had an agency. I don't know. What he <laughs> and then and then the and what you really want to do is educate the person across from you on how to sell you that's what your job really is yep you're absolutely right and because it's not they aren't your prospect but they are connected typically to your prospect so the power of a network you know let's say 60 people are at a networking event right the prospect isn't within those 60 people it's within the 600 or 6,000 people. All the people they influence. Exactly. The people that trust them right. are in their ring of trust, you know, within their networks. And so... N not too un unlike the circle of trust. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but it's outside where you're at. Right. Absolutely. You know, you're, the people that trust you, you know, the clients that trust you, the partners that trust you, not the same ones that are within my circle. Mm -hmm. And so what we do well is we educate each other on the products and services that we could be helping each other's clients with. And that's when, you know, the referrals happen and that's when the engagement happens. Right. So, so the, the first thing, like I said, is something remarkable about you. The, and we even, you know, we put our picture on business cards. The reason why we do that again is when people get back to the office and they're going through their cards, they go, Oh, that was the guy. He's a Navy vet. You know, right, right, right. right. Yeah, we're making it remarkable that someone's going to remember who we are. Um, uh, the second thing is, you know, trust is, you know, that person standing across from you doesn't have any clue who you are or why they should trust you. Right. And those are the conversations that you want to have. Is you, you want to have, you want to understand why clients trust them, so that you can sell them to your clients or or refer them to your clients. 
And then you want them to understand why people trust you. So, so that's, a, that's a big difference than pitching, obviously, is, is letting people know hmm. well, these size clients that we're working with, you know, we've worked with, you know, uh, Angie's List and GoDaddy and, you know, Chase and, and everything else. Right. What I'm doing there is I'm basically, you know, saying, look, you can trust me. These companies trusted me. You can trust me. And so you want to have that conversation. The next is teaching them and literally teaching them saying, you know what? I heard a little bit about the people that you're working with. And I really think that there might be some overlap in the things that we could help them with. Um, you know what, if you're, if you're talking to them, here's the kind of problems that we run into with our clients, A, B, and C. And if you're talking to them, you know, it would be interesting to know if they're already working with a consultant or an agency like us. Yep. And what, and the way that we position ourselves is, you know, we basically do one, two, three. And, and what I'm really doing there is I'm educating that person across from me how to sell me. I'm educating them on what the pitch is. I'm educating them on how they can go about telling the next person. Because you'll hear this a lot, and I know everybody listening probably has, is um, I don't know really what it is that you do. <laughs> or, or how many people bring you a prospect that you're like, why in the heck did they bring me this prospect? And that just goes back to you understanding that they don't get me. They don't understand what our, our good prospect would be. And so when you go to one of these networking events and you get in a conversation with someone that does have the, the audience that you're looking for, mm-hmm. the ring of trust that you're looking for, you have to teach them. You have to do it. And the last thing is asking them for access to their which is hard, but be upfront with people and say, you know what, I, I got to tell you that I'm really excited about the conversation we're having because those customers that you're working with right. are the exact same type of clients that we work with. And I really think that, you know, our work could be complementary to one another. There's no overlap there. And I'd like to ask you this, could we follow up in a week, you know, and maybe talk about, you know, who some of the prospective you know, clients are that you're working with yep. and, and make some introductions. And of course, I'd be glad, you know, I'd be glad to, you know, provide a referral, you know, fee or whatever, you know, for, for that invitation. But um, man, I'm excited about this, you know? You know, there, there, there is something right there, Doug, uh, from, from, from that, from a, uh, I, I just want to put, put a pause on the, the negotiation of a fee too early in the relationship. I mean, what you're really doing is you're asking for the level of endorsement uh, and advocation, uh, advocacy of you inside of a, a network that they've been building for a long time. And you got to be tactful whenever that particular conversation happens because... On this entire thing, you know, yeah. I mean, but, but, but the problem is, is if you're going to a network event, you got one shot. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so, you know, the barriers, uh, you know, are, are there... But, but, you know, tact might be a little bit missing. You, know, <laughs> you have one shot. Yeah, it's not, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, I mean, maybe you can talk to the person about having a follow-up meeting and stopping by their right. office or right. something. Like that. Right. You know, but for the most part, it's, it's no, you're standing in front of someone that you might never see again. And, oh, my God, they have my perfect client yep. in their network. I'd really love to, you know, get a connection there. And, and so... 
you know, it's, it's just being upfront with them. It's not being a pushy jerk, you know, but it's, it's, it's not being afraid to ask, not being, you know, a lot of people. Oh, I agree completely. Where they, where they don't. And, and the problem is, is that when you don't ask, guess what happens? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> you know? but if you do ask, sometimes the thing breaks through. So um, I just thought they were, you know, these were some really great insights that Harrison had mm-hmm. and, and wanted to share them with everybody because I think a lot of people go to these networking events, you know, with the hope uh, that there's going to be three prospects there that they can pick up. And, and you know, if you walk in there just pitching yourself, you know, you're just basically turning everybody away. And you don't realize that the power of that person standing around, uh, across from you right. isn't whether they have money, isn't whether they are the right client for you. It's who are they connected to that could be a good fit. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's always great information. I'm not a, a, a huge networking fan, um, but if you do it right and if you go in there with – but you also, I think – not only asking access to the network, but also asking how could you help them is a, is a great uh, a, a, a great offering up of value uh, in that small period of time that you yeah, that you you've got with them. Well, that's that's exactly what I meant by you know trading networks. Right. You know, right. I might be a perfect client for you, but holy smokes, I think I've got three that would be really good for yep. you. You know, and so how can we work together to make this, you know, partnership work? The, look, the, the fact remains that almost all, you know, business, you know, happens from word of mouth, right? You yep, know, absolutely. Engagements happen. And, and there's a reason for that. It's not just, it's not just the efficiency of the medium. It's because the trust, mm-hmm. you know, that if I'm sitting and I've worked with a client for, you know, a few years and I introduce them to you, they know that I'm putting my reputation on the line. They know they already trust me. So when I bring you to them, you've already got a leg up over every all the competition. And so, you know, it's it's yep. that. And when I say networking too, you know, I, I'm not talking about the local, you know, marketing events or whatever. I'm talking to, you know, you guys go to, uh, you know, SEM West. Right, right, right. right. East or whatever, and you're sitting around the table with other professionals in your arena. God knows that there's ways that you can you could be you know trading clients and providing yep. services back and forth. And so that's you know I when I say networking, I don't mean just a pure oh hey there's a networking meeting up on the north side. I mean anytime that there's you know a group of professionals in a room that yep. you know you really want to expand you know and have them go back and again educate their ring of trust you know, their, their clients on what you might have to offer. No, I completely agree. So ditching the elevator pitch. Ditch the elevator pitch. Uh, so check that out at Marketing Tech Blog, uh, one of the more recent articles. Um, <laughs> anything else that's coming up uh, on the marketing tech side of things? Well, did it, have you ever bought anything from an elevator pitch? No. I flat out hate it. <laughs> See? No, absolutely not. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I mean. Is I think that's a majority of people. Um, so it's, it's kind of pointless. And, and in today's, you know, in today's economy, you have a lot of, a lot of abilities to sell past that communication. Yep. You know, they're going to follow up with you. They're going to check you out on LinkedIn. They're going to check you out on social. They're going to check you out at the site level. Back to our original conversation about brand continuity and consistency, right? If they're, ch- if they're checking you out, you don't have to stuff it all into one box right there. 
you exactly. you ask these pertinent questions. You don't pitch and and try to cram a cram a cram a job out of them or or what have you. So no, that's a really good point. At, at minimum, you just want them to remember who you were. Yep. So the flamingos. <laughs> yes. Next next networking event I go to. That's that's my that's my that's, story. Uh, there, there, right there. Yep. Well, <laughs> you know what? I here's here's I'll put money on this. What's that? You go to a working event and they say, so what is it you do? And you come back and you go flamingos. That person won't forget you, <laughs> <laughs> and they won't give you any information or pass on clients. Absolutely not. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, very cool, Doug. Uh, any last thoughts uh, from the marketing tech side of things? No, just uh, having fun, and you're going to see a lot of changes this year. So a lot of stuff coming out in, in the woodwork. Roger that. Roger that. All right. Well, that is Mar- uh, Doug Carr of Marketing Tech Blog. You can check out Marketing Tech Blog at marketingtechblog.com, right? Yep, that's it. All right. Well, Social, yeah, everywhere. Everywhere. He is literally everywhere. I, I'm always amazed at the LinkedIn ads that not the ads, but the LinkedIn posts that you're making regularly. I am always seeing it. It's amazing. Well, they're brilliant, so that's why. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I actually do have another one. What's that? You guys, if you go to Amazon and search for better business book, there it is. Yeah, I was wondering if you're going to put that one up there. Yeah, so I made a. I, I these guys did a fantastic job. They basically uh, got a hold of uh, four or five hundred people, um, put it out that they were looking for stories on you know some some business um, you know experiences that these people had. Right. Everybody submitted, and then they took the best one hundred of those, uh, what they thought were the most impactful stories, and they put a book together that's a hundred chapters. It's a hundred business sharing these stories and i gotta tell you it was really difficult to write it was it's only my my story is only four pages three pages yeah but i really worked hard at you know you really got to pack a punch you know within that and um and so they came out with the book better business book you can search for it on amazon big red cover yep Uh, and so i got my copy this week and i am glued uh, it's one of those great reads that you can just flip open to a chapter. They're separated by kind of, uh, you know, uh, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're a marketer, whether you're this or that. Right. Uh, and and some of these stories are just absolutely amazing. And I love these little nuggets because I, I don't, you know, if you had one author write a book on how to do, how to run your business better, uh, I, I'd throw it in the garbage because they don't know who you are or how you run your business or anything like that. Sure. But, but the you know getting a hundred little nuggets like this of lessons learned is is really cool. So I'm not just saying that because I wrote in it. Uh, I'm saying it, it's a really good book. I I am just amazed at at the the quality of the of the uh, stories. Yeah, I was I was impressed when I saw that. I actually jumped on there and uh, uh, there was a link to actually get a free copy if I'm not mistaken. Um, I'll bring you an autograph copy. How's that? By some <laughs> of the some of the better authors. <laughs> Just from, oh, just from you? Okay. Well, I, I, I guess I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> I, got I got a Christmas present for you, too, that I got to bring over. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, do you realize that we're past Christmas? No, I know, but well, you gave me the, you know, the scotch and whiskey advent calendar after advent. <laughs> I, I was just thinking, you know what? He's not going to wait if I actually start at the beginning of December. 
Well, the, the funny part was I had to catch up then. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that was my gift to you. You had to catch up. But, but I saw your, even you were surprised that they put in there. Oh, my gosh. They put in a $640 a bottle shot of scotch. It was a shot like a shot and a half, right? Yeah. And I, I got to tell you that a, a dram, whatever a dram is. Yes, exactly. And um, and I, I have to tell you that I'm not a scotch person. I love bourbon. Yeah. But, you know, scotch. Uh, like the most expensive scotches are like taking a chunk off of your car tire and, and really? chewing on it for an hour. Wow. See? That's, that's, but this. The one, disrespect. <laughs> don't disrespect the, 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 the single malt. Come on. It tastes like burnt rubber. I'm sorry. But <laughs> My wife says that ter- it tastes like turpentine. There you go. But this one. Yeah. Oh my God. It was amazing. Oh my gosh. I could drink a bottle of it. I can't afford a bottle of it. But I- <laughs> Very cool. Well, I, you know, you're more than welcome, and and I'll 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 uh, you didn't have to get anything, but I appreciate it, and uh, we'll we'll I'm sure we'll we'll consume it at a later date. You're gonna you're gonna love what I got you. I, uh, I'll say. Very cool. Well, thank you so much, Doug. We appreciate your time today, uh, Doug Cars. Sponsor of uh, of the show, uh, we really appreciate it. We appreciate everybody's contribution to the show today. Uh, Tom Broadbeck, as well as Christy Gormel from Art Matchbook. Uh, well, Tom's not from Matchbook, but you know, you know, right. everybody knows Tom. Uh, as well as Dana Di Tommaso. There you go. There Got it is. It. Nailed it. Nailed right, it. Right on the close. <laughs> yes. Uh, from from kickpoint.ca. Uh, fantastic interview. We really enjoyed uh, her contribution and we'll be looking forward to talking to her down the line. So with, before you sign off. Yes. Uh, for our listeners to know, we are now on TuneIn. Mm-hmm. We are now on Acast. Acast. I've never heard before, but that's that's a new one out there. And uh, I'm working on Audio Boom, and hopefully soon we'll be on iHeart and SoundCloud. Fantastic. So look for us there, too. Look for us in all those places. Oh, and we just lost Doug. <laughs> so thanks to everybody. Uh, you know what? Check all the videos and audio at edgethelebradio.com. Subscribe to all the areas that uh, you, may, you may want to uh, subscribe to. We'll actually talk to you next week with a brand new guest. And we're also going to be catching up on a couple guests here in the near future uh, that we had to, had to miss uh, at the end of in the last year. But we're certainly going to jam uh, some great shows in here coming up. So we're kicking off 2017 with a bang. And uh, this is the, the No BS Year. Yeah, you've got it. Uh, marketing's hard work, and we're gonna we're gonna help you and show you how. This is Edge of the Web. Do not be a piece of cyber driftwood. Edge of the Web.